Hello and welcome to a very special episode of GasCast. I'm joined by double promotion winning former Bristol Rovers manager Daryl Clark. Having resurrected the gas from non-league at the first time of asking with back-to-back promotions to League One, Daryl left the club back in December 2018. At the time, he was the fourth longest serving manager in the EFL. This episode is sponsored by none other than Piglet's Pantry. No doubt you're missing the pie and pasties from the mem as much as we are, so why not treat yourself during pie-solation, see what I did there, by visiting their online shop where you can receive a 10% discount with discount code PIGLETS10. For more information, check out pigletspantry.co.uk or contact them via Facebook, Twitter or sales at pigletspantry.co.uk on email. I tell you, just looking at the sausage rolls on that website has got me missing the football more than ever. So, over to Daryl Clark. Daryl, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. How are you doing? How's the lockdown treating you? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, you don't really want to complain. You get a little bit bored and you you want the football back, but it's hard to complain when, you know, a lot of people are losing their loved ones and, uh, you know, and the illness that, that, that cripples a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, probably no different to everybody else, looking after our family members, making sure we stay safe and that other people stay safe. Yeah, and I imagine as being in football like you are and, and so much travelling, no doubt, to the Walsall job, um, it must be a good opportunity to spend some time with the family. Yeah, so uh, it is, but uh, you know, I love I love my job and love being out on the grass, love love the game. So, but it's nice to obviously be with a family. I don't get to to spend that much time with. I actually moved up into Litchfield, but I'm I'm back in my Southampton base now with uh, my wife, who's working from home, and our kids. Well, in this chat, we're going to be going back through your Rovers career. I mean, where do we even start with that one? Um, so Trust many brilliant yeah. memories. I apologise, but we're going to start with the League Two relegation season. It was your first job in the EFL. Do you think you tried to change too much too soon that season? Oh, yeah, yammering me already too early. <laughs> yeah, no, listen there. Uh, I think, uh, you know, obviously I had the eight games. I think a, a, a big key moment for me was it, I wasn't able to bring anybody in in the window, obviously, because the window had shut, uh, which made things difficult because... If I'm honest, I didn't really trust the group. There was some players that obviously stayed with me for the course for a good few years that I did trust. But obviously, there's quite a few numerous players in there that I didn't quite trust and I didn't think they had uh, represented the club in the right way. And having worked with John as, a, as an assistant for the course of the season, it was it was a case of trying to pull it all together. Uh, I don't, I can't remember. I don't think I made too many changes. I know we, I know we had a lot of injuries, certainly to full-backs and... On that faith, faithful last day, the uh, you know Lee Brown come in, the only fit fullback I think on the day, and his, his back had pulled. So literally, we'd, we'd shaped up and worked for the for the last game, and then literally came in with a bad back, which had to change things as well. So we had quite a few injuries as well, but uh, you know it wasn't to be. Mm, yeah, I, that was one of the things I was going to specifically mention was the Browner injury. Was that day the Mansfield game? Was it kind of the day where you feel completely helpless as a manager watching it from the sideline? Because as a fan, it just, it just kind of, it almost felt like you knew what yeah, was going to happen. Yeah, we, but we kept we kept everything really, uh, obviously, really positive as much as we possibly can. I wasn't mm. too happy after the uh, the Wickham game, although we won the game. It was too much celebration for me. Uh, and you know the the chairman Nick Higgs, who, who I got on great with, and what he was in the change rooms, which was you know came in to. So just basically say to the lads, well done, but 
it didn't feel comfortable to me. It didn't, you know, even then after that, it's, it's only, we're not, we're not there yet. So I never felt confident going into the last game, if, I, if I'm all honest. And certainly with Brownie coming in, in injured just before the players were to report at quarter past one. You know, all of a sudden, Michael Smith, who was, I thought, one of our main players as well, he was injured as well, if I can remember right. And then, you know, all of a sudden, he was like, oh, wow. You know, but uh, we tried to pull it all together. I thought we probably deserved something out of the game, if I'm honest with you. Mm-hmm. We uh, we didn't play great, but we missed a couple of great chances, but it, it weren't to be. Yeah, as a supporter watching that, I don't think anyone really faulted the performance on that final day. It was just, it just seemed like it was written, you know, it just... It did. I think John Joe had a great chance, didn't he, that he went past the post. Um, Crystal, mm-hmm. I think, was it the Crystal at the crossbar? If I can remember right. And it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was a very, very bad day. And uh, I must say, it took me a long time to get over that, to be honest with you. Yeah, there was a, there was a picture of you being consoled on the pitch by fans at full time. Um, one of the most iconic Rovers images of recent times, to be honest. What was the moment like immediately after the whistle? Well, you know, you'd, you'd obviously put a, put a lot into the job as assistant, obviously assistant John, but then to take over and it be on my head, it was, it was, it was very tough. Uh, you feel like you, you, you know, I let all down, down all my supporters and, uh, you know, and, and taking Bristol Rovers out of the league haunts me still now, to be honest with you. And it was... It was one of those like death in the family. Yeah, I'd say say that's how it felt like to me, and, and obviously emotions were running very, very high. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a very disappointing day. You mentioned John Ward there. What was he What was he like to to work under? And was it was it weird for you throughout the season, having been a manager before and then becoming an assistant manager? Did you kind of have to let him have the final say? And did you agree with everything? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, listen, no, I don't agree at all, to be honest mm. with you, on, on certain issues. But, you know, John was John was, John was, was fine. He, he's a good manager, John, and uh, assisted John. And I gave him my ideas. But when you're an assistant manager, you go what the manager wants. You, you know, I have an open office now as a manager. But then, you know, the book stops with myself and the book stopped with John. We, me and Marcus would, would give our opinions and, and, you know, John was the one that picked the team, picked the formation, picked the shapes, you know, and to a certain de- to a certain extent. And, you know, we, we backed that up when he'd made his decision. But I certainly know, yes, man, that's for sure. But uh, mm-hmm. you've got to, you know, when you're assisting, you've got to you work on, on what the manager wants. And I, did, I, I find it very frustrating, if I'm honest with you, going from the managers there. But but I also thought if I uh, I needed that opportunity, I wanted to manage in the league, obviously, and I wanted to uh, to learn a lot and, and and come across and the opportunity to come across and be assistant manager was, was massive for me. Mm. And and you got your chance as manager there. Um, and unfortunately, we were relegated. But on to the 2014-15 season, uh, Rovers first in non-league. Were you always were you always going to keep the job there? Were you, con- were you concerned when we got relegated that they might? Uh, yeah, very much so concerned. I can, I can mm. remember uh, board, the, the board meeting that uh, John, wasn't, John wasn't in the board meeting. Also John was director of football. I forget the reason why he couldn't make the board meeting. But uh, we, we sat around the table and it was, to, to be honest, it felt like another interview. And uh, I was fighting for my life, to be honest with you. And I was, I was stating the fact that you know, if you if you haven't took those eight games into consideration, and look at my track record in non-league, I've been done well at Salisbury and obviously played in the conference. I think you'd be looking for somebody like myself. 
Mm-hmm. So it was trying to convince the, the the board there that I was the right man and that I could turn it round. What I wanted to do, how I wanted to change it. So it was certainly me fighting for my job, and uh, you know, really pleased. Uh, and I'll always be grateful for for Nick Higgs for giving me that opportunity to to continue and, and to try and build something. Mm. And it's a big call, isn't it, to keep a manager in that situation? So it, it was a massive call, wasn't it? Uh, a very, very, very big call, to be honest with you. But I think they they did believe in me. I think they've seen the changes that I want to, in, to implement, how I wanted to go about things, and uh, where, where I'd like to take us. I wanted to get, you know, I can always remember saying I want to get some pride back in the shirt. Uh, doing not long after that, I think it was the next day. Actually, I was doing a radio interview and. Uh, you know, obviously things were very heated with the, the Bristol Rovers fans, and uh, you know it was it was a tough tough hour that to be honest with you. But I just felt that the, there was a few fans out there willing to give me that opportunity to to try and move it forward. I don't think uh, I think I think there was a big bit of a split. I think still quite a few blame me. You know, rightly so. Uh, I was I did take over those last eight games, but I think there was there's quite a few willing to give me an opportunity and a chance, which. Uh, it's all you can ask for sometimes as a man. You need, you need that opportunity. Mm, absolutely. And I, I, I think I remember the interview you're on about. Was it the BBC Radio Bristol one? It was, yeah. Yeah, it was live on there. And obviously, uh, he was sat down with Jeff Twentyman and there was tweets coming in, get out of that club, Clark. And, you know, mm. expecting the stick because, you know, rightly so. The, the fans were so upset and you could understand it. But, uh, you know, I can always remember saying, get can give me an opportunity that's that's all I'm asking for so uh, thankfully uh, the response was quite good yeah and you know what Daryl I'd probably say that I remember listening to that interview and I was obviously concerned I mean you wouldn't be surprised by that but when you when you spoke in that interview I remember you really rallied all the fans and you really gave everyone some something to get behind and I think that I think that was kind of where you won enough fans over to really go for it that next season. So what what was the remit from the board? Was it immediate promotion, no other option? Yeah, there was a hell of a lot of pressure. But uh, bear in mind with the massive cuts, um, if I remember right, we didn't get well, very little or hardly any. I think clubs now that go into the National League had a big, big, uh, big uh, contribution from the EFL. But we mm. never got that. So we had massive cuts and obviously... I was going to chop a lot of the squad away anyway. And it was about ripping it all up, to be honest with you. So we're uh, sitting down with Tony Wittola. And when I, when I, when I got the, the budget, obviously working with Tony on a regular basis and, and the chairman, but uh, he was certainly, obviously, a, a top three budget in the National League. But by no means, I mean, I imagine nowadays that the teams in the National League are spending a lot more than what we did when we got promoted. But the remit was to get up. The, the importance of that, people had lost their jobs. Uh, you know, which I'm still gutted about now, but, but uh, we we had to get back up because it was it'd have been disastrous if we if we hadn't. If I'm honest, and the pressure was on from from day dot. We speak of tearing it up that summer and kind of rebuilding, and we we got a question sent in from Nathan Cartmel. Um, yeah, and it reads: one of the key things you did that first summer after the relegation to the conference was to identify and build a culture within the club. Uh, how key yes. to our success was getting the right players in the door that fit that change of culture? And did you sell it's, your it, plan? Yeah, yeah, it's massive. Listen, I believe I'm very good at building the environment, the work ethic of a winning mentality. 
And it's, uh, it's so important at football clubs, you know, because at the end of the day, fans fans get to see the 90 minutes, 90, 90 minutes on a Tuesday sometimes, you know. But the fact of the matter is your training ground, your environment is so important. And the winning mentality you have to build in there and the characters that you actually put in there because they're the ones that are spending every single day together. And you want that united front, you know, which me and my staff sort of, uh, you know, pride ourselves on. And it was it was a change of the environment. I thought uh, and everyone does it a little bit different, but I just wanted to do it back to the way that obviously I'd worked at Salisbury, uh, a real good team spirit, good work ethic. And nowadays you have to build that siege mentality at football clubs, uh, especially with uh, social medias and, 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 and people are very critical now. That's why we love the game, which is fine. But building that uh, environment, that siege mentality and building that togetherness is what b- builds success. Mm. And we, we saw that eventually, but the season I mean, it wasn't a great start. Um, did you feel... That's an understatement. That. Yeah. That's an understatement. No, I'm, tr- yeah. I'm being polite there, aren't I? It was, uh, it was appalling. So, you know, how, how did you deal with that? And were you concerned well, for your own job at that point? You... Yeah, I think I was very close. I think that was probably a game off. I can, uh, I'll give you a true story now, to be honest with you. It was, uh, it, I got a phone call. I think it was from uh, Nick Higgs, to be honest. And I think it's the only, the only player I really edged towards signing that wasn't one of my players. If that makes sense, so let me give you the, the, the story. Was that the board thought was lacking a bit in the front of the pitch, and I couldn't agree more. Do you know what I mean? And they mentioned yeah. the lad called Angelo Blanta, who obviously scored a winning penalty. He was a talented player, but I didn't know much about him. But I knew I was under pressure for the job. So listen, yeah, let's let's get him in. We need something at the top end. That's the first player I've ever signed. This probably wasn't my player. And it'd probably be the only one I don't as well. <laughs> but however, I was under that much pressure. I was under that much pressure to keep in my job because, like you say, we had a bad start. We wasn't playing well at all. And uh, certainly the players bringing it, you know, had a rude awakening of what size club, you know, how well supported Bristol Rovers were, how, uh, you know. And so we had to, we had to, uh, you know, ha- ha- put the doors up. I can remember a game, I think it was the Braintree. No, not the Braintree game. Where did we go? Altrincham, we got beat at Altrincham. I think it was 2-1. We was awful. And uh, I can remember having all my players outside the change rooms all sat on the floor and I slaughtered some of the big hitters that, to be fair to them, were good lads, but, you know, wasn't, wasn't doing good enough. And uh, this, it, was a, it was a Monday morning in training. And that sort of woke, woken a few up. But we, we didn't start well in those particular eight games. And, uh, yeah, we had a lot of work to do from there. Mm. And then the season kind of turned around after a 2-0 loss at Braintree. Was there any reason that you think it, it improved from there. Were there some home truths said in the dressing room? I mean, you said you said it happened against Altrincham. Yeah, but... it, was, it was a bit before that, to be honest with you. But I'll tell you another funny story. It was at Braintree. Well, it's funny now because we can look back because we the success. But uh, I was at Braintree. I'd already made three subs, and I'm sat in this ice bucket. The fans are going mad. I think one of our fans had punched somebody in the head when there was a there was a scuffle in the net. He was he was all kicking off and getting a bit of dogs abuse in there. I said to Mar- I said to uh, I said to Marcus, get him on. I can't remember the player's name. And uh, Marcus just looked at me. I went, get him effing on. I said, get him on now. He looked at me. and went, Gaffa, we've already made three subs. And it was like <laughs> it was like oh wow. And that's the, you know they're the pressures of management. And uh, certainly, certainly after that game, we went on a tremendous run. Absolutely, yeah. And um, it's going to get more positive, I swear. Um, but first, I want to focus yeah, on, some, on, right. some, uh, on some individual players. Um, yeah. 
there was one in particular that I remember interested me a lot was Jamie White, who kind of joined as like a in fans' eyes at least he was a he was almost a marquee striker signing. Um, but he left without scoring a goal. Um, what do you oh, think? You're going to be hammering my signings all, all <laughs> podcast there. It's not a it's... problem. Listen, Jamie White was one of the most natural finishers that I, that I sort of uh, I've managed to be honest with you at Salisbury. He was prolific for me. However, he he didn't get himself to the state, you know, anywhere near to the fitness levels he was at Salisbury. And I think the injury, the injuries he had in the previous year, had knocked him back too much, and he came in and he just couldn't recover that form. So yeah, put him down as a duck egg. But he was, a, you know, naturally a very, very good finisher, but never, never, never hit it off whatsoever. So put him down as one of my duck egg signs. I'm sure he'll have more anyway as the, as the session goes off. I've made a few duck eggs. I don't mind saying that. Well, um. Well, I can't promise I'm not going to come back to any bad ones, but th- there was. Nah, you know, I can handle that. It's all right. You, you get the problem. praise for Andy Monkhouse, who formed this partnership with with Brown that was unorthodox, but it was key in that promotion season. Was that something that happened naturally, or was he signed with the intention of using him to get the best out of Lee Brown? Because it really did. Well, well, Monks. I played with Monkhouse at uh, Artlepool, and I knew he was a great lad and a great character, and that you know I. You know, I had the experience of being able to to manage the situation, like to play in the situation we're going to play in. And uh, to be fair, they they hit it off straight away. Not you know in the change rooms as well as on the pitch. And it was ideal because Brownie likes to get forward. I know Monks has got good goals in him. He's got goals in him from midfield. Not obviously a normal winger as such, but he able to come inside the pitch. We could hit him on the diags. He could win first contact, which was crucial as well. And Brownie could get around the outside of him, delivering the the, 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 the crosses to supply the bullets. So uh, he was a massive signing in the conference year, was was Monkhouse. Yeah, cracking partnership. Um, another signing, Nathan Blissett. Um, did you sign him on the back of that performance? Listen, I'm not that sloppy. I'd like to say I'm that sloppy to sign somebody on the back of performance. Listen, Nathan, we'd, we'd, we'd had him watched and uh, obviously watched the videos and, and the scouting platforms that, that we've got now. So uh, I'm not that lazy <laughs> to, mm. to just think he's had a good game against us. Obviously, he stood out against us. But uh, I think the, the importance of having a, a big lad in the conference and, uh, and having that option, obviously got Ellis as well, we needed that, and uh, I thought he was raw enough, and uh, there'd be plenty of work with him. He'd be hungry enough, obviously, but after you know, rise to it. He, he come from obviously Kidderminster, but obviously have to to rise to playing in front of a, a better supported football club, a better football club. And uh, I think he, for me, Nathan did what it, what I brought him in to do. He helped with the promotion campaign. Do you think he ever reached his potential for us? I just think certain players and Nathan will probably chuck it down my throat one day to be honest with you. Great lad. He was uh he needed to be angry for me, he was never angry enough to play the game. I tried all sorts. I can remember a story to be honest with you. Once uh, to, this was to try and get a reaction out of him once I said to him, I says, Nathan, you were uh, you playing Saturday, son. Make sure you have a good week. And Saturday came, I left him out of the old squad. I was thinking, right, happy days, because I wanted to get a reaction. I wanted to get him angry. Do you know what I mean? And then literally, he never mentioned anything. And then I went down to the change rooms on the Thursday after the Saturday game. And I'm having a bit of banter with my players and Nathan's here. I could see he was, you know, a little bit upset, obviously. And I went, what's up you, big fella? He went, uh, do you want to have a word? He went, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So he's obviously got a bit of, bit of beef. And I went, oh, come on then. Get your boxing gloves. I'm going to go up to the office, jokingly. But we, we go up to the office. I went, what's up with you? 
he says, oh, I've, uh, you know, you said I was playing Saturday. You weren't even in the squad. I went, uh, oh, right. I said, are you angry? He went, yeah, I am. I went, good. I said, because that's all I need to get out of you. So I tried different things with Nathan. And he had, he, had the, he had certain tools. Sometimes he'd be a world beater. Then sometimes when he was bad, he was really bad. And I think he's never really, for me, reached the platform that, you know, to, to have the career to kick on and on. So, and some players reach a level for me. It sounds like you tried a lot with him, but yeah, just I completely yeah, get but a great kid, great kid, and, and really appreciative how he did for the football club. So, uh, yeah, yeah we wish, always wishing him the best. And he gave me everything as well, to be fair to the kid. And someone that did kind of work through the leagues with Rovers after you signed him was uh, Chris Lines. How key was he to that promotion? Oh, yes, Lines. He Lines, he had that quality. Uh, he was. Yeah. He was one of the best footballers, to be honest with you. He could hit balls 50 yards. He could run with the ball with pace, fine passes, never go hiding away from the ball, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, not the greatest defensive midfielder in the world, but his attributes were so strong for us. And uh, by, by all accounts, I think certain players give you different challenges of, of, of managing. And Chris was one of those, to be honest with you. But I really enjoyed working with him. I think I got the best out of him and certainly enjoyed my time managing him. He was a great talent. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you got the best out of him as well. And we saw such a different side of him in the years that that came after this. Um, how did the signing come about? Did he, it's almost, it's unlikely that you scouted him, right? So how does that happen? Yeah, uh, Chris Lyons, let me go on reverse it. I've signed a few players nowadays in my past. I can't, I can't exactly remember, but what fitted my bill is he'd been successful at Bristol Rovers. He was a Bristol Rovers fan, and uh, he's obviously dropping down decent levels. He was, he's keen to get back to the area. So it was a good coup for ourselves because he could handle big, big games. He was a big game player for me and obviously done my due diligence watching the videos and stuff and spoke to people that had obviously worked with him. But uh, yeah, he, he just he just brought that something different to the club and uh, when when he came, he, he fitted in nicely and, and, and certainly in the big games, you know, the Forest Green, the playoffs and, and whatnot, he, uh, he, he was massive for us. Absolutely. Yeah, we went on quite a run after that, but we weren't able to achieve automatic promotion after falling at the Dover hurdle. Um, how did you manage no, to pick still the still me now, that, yeah. Yeah, how did yeah, you manage to get I'd, everyone up for that? Do you know what, right? After that game, I was speechless. I was just gutted. Listen, we were playing on a car park. The pitch was so hard. So I went for a big team, a big, strong, physical team. The game was awful. It was it was awful. But, I mean, the, the pitch was, honestly, it was it was concrete. The ball's bouncing everywhere. So, right, I'll, I'll settle for a scruffy 1-0 here. To be honest with you, I knew it was going to be a difficult game. And the game plan was working brilliantly. I think it was Ellis who got the goal, didn't he? Took took the lead. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Puddy, Puddy drops one. And then all of a sudden, after that, in the change rooms, I didn't know what to say. I, you know, I was, I was pretty down. The, the, the old change rooms were flat. I said, listen, I ain't saying a lot, lads, now. Just, get, you know, get ourselves down. Let's, let's, let's chat about it Monday. Because I was, I was gutted. Because it had been in our hands then. And I knew it was a massive missed opportunity, especially with Alfton at home coming up. Yeah, and, and we smashed them 7-0. So whatever you said resonated with the players. Um, was it important to go into the playoffs with that momentum? Yeah, uh, very much so for me. I thought I think uh, you know the environment we sort of built from that period, the siege mentality we built, the togetherness we'd built into the squad. 
and the spirit in there. And you know, remember getting the I can always remember getting the players in the huddle after the uh, after that game. I say, listen, we don't let this be a disappointment. You know, we look at these fans, look how they've got behind us. They've been with us, you know, all season. Say we can't use this as a disappointment. We're going up through the playoffs. No two ways about it. We're not gonna we're not gonna let this slip. So take this. Let's go and give the fans a clap. They've been magnificent. I say, then we dust ourselves down and we go and get promoted in the playoff final. So there's no time for any hangovers, no time for any disappointment. And, and that's what we did. Yep. And we did get promoted at Wembley. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't our best performance of the season. Do you feel that the occasion got no, to the I, st- I, I, I still used to have a laugh with the players. I think they had about three players turn up, didn't I? You know, yeah. listen, it was, it was one of those games and footballs that I think uh, it was a pretty even game. We didn't play well. I don't think there was a lot in the game. If, if I'm honest, I think Grimsby edged it. They could have had a decision where Puddy came out and, you know, unballed it that could have gone disastrously wrong. Mm. But for me, yeah, I go through the course of the season, I thought we deserved the win. I thought we was, I, I did particularly think we were the best team. I'm going to say that, but I did think we were the best team in the conference, but fair play to Barnet. But uh, I certainly thought we deserved that little bit of luck in the final. And like you say, there weren't many good performances, was there? I still, I give, I think I've good, still give the boys a bit of banter about that the, the season after saying it'd have been nice if you'd have turned up at Wembley. So <laughs> there weren't many, that's for sure. Yeah, well, all that matters is that Mansell penalty hit the net. You went charging towards the gas heads. Uh, was that all of the relief coming out in that celebration? Yes. Big style because I, you know, I knew the pressures of getting out there, and, and the chairman rightly so kept reminding me about it and uh, about, uh, you know, that league. You've only got to look at your Oxford, your Lutons, your teams now, your Chesterfields and Yorks and whatnot. That league is one of the most difficult leagues to get out of with with so less players going up and uh, teams going up, should I say? And the pressure was immense. It was it was a tough game to enjoy. I'm not going to lie to you because of what was there, you know, what was relying on it, and the relief at the end. And share that with the with the gas heads was uh, was a special moment. I still watch it now when I'm a bit down to pick myself up. To be honest, I can't believe I was that quick. That's for sure. But it was uh, it was a great it was a great day. Oh, you're telling me it was. Uh, I, I don't think I enjoyed watching that football match in the slightest. No, it was just, I don't yeah. think anybody did. To be honest with you, it wasn't a great game, was it? And it, we we tried to prepare everything. I mean, the best thing is, is we got down there the, the week before so, to have a look at the pitch. And I'm um, chatting to the groundsman. I'm thinking, right, I'm like, getting the head groundsman here. Does he water it? Yeah, yeah, we put loads of water on it before it. So so I've, I've basically got all the fine details of what the grass cut was going to be length because we, we was training at the MEM after that. And I was getting them to water the MEM, you know, before every training session and all that, trying to get the fine details right. And then the day of the final, no other light of pitch was it was a red hot day anyway but the pitch was dry and it was you know you done a bit of prep work and and that that reminds me of the world putty charging out he probably thought he's going to go into his area but uh with, with nothing on the on the pitch but uh yeah we certainly didn't turn up in, in a performance front on there but it was a it was such a relief to get through it i hope you had a word with that groundsman there no, no, I think he had bigger fish to fry with the other playoff finals coming up to Gunnish. I think we was bottom of the ladder if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> There's me asking him well, I bet you thought who's this cheeky shot? I'll go with <laughs> Never so mind. Fine details. Um we had a question from Denner on Twitter. Um what yeah. what could you have done differently in the conference that could have got us up without the playoffs? 
very glass half yeah, full. Yeah, he didn't want much, uh, does he? Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey? yeah, we could have been had two points better off. Uh, <laughs> I think he's, he can look, he look back everywhere. We could have had a better start, couldn't we, to be honest, in the first six, seven games. But when you're working with a newish sort of group and trying to bring it together, you know, he, he, he does take a little bit of time to, to get that. To they get that going, so uh, I, I certainly thought we we drew too many away games. I was so angry in some of the away games we drew as well. To be honest, the lads, if you ever speak to some of the old boys, they'll tell you that because we we took so many points away from away from home. You know, our own form was pretty pretty bang on, but our away form in controlling some games, and I can remember I think it was a Dartford game where Lee Milden all dropped in a couple. You know, and it was it was those sort of games where we uh, Mildy was a great keeper for me by the way so he won't appreciate me digging him out because he did superb but uh, <laughs> no it was it was, it was there where we took some silly points away to be honest well the squad that you were kind of built that season pretty much didn't just do the conference and unfortunately didn't get automatic but they they managed to get automatic in league two so let's go into that season 2015-16 um, first off the Alcardis joined in February, uh, but I want to yeah. start by talking about Higgs and the previous owners. You, it sounds yeah. like you've got plenty of positives to say about them, but how was it working with them? Yeah, no, listen, I've uh, I've had a great relationship, working relationship with Nick, Tony, and I must say, everybody I've worked with, I'm, I'm pretty straight down the line. I'll have disputes, I'll, I'll fight my corner, I'll say what I think's right or wrong, whether they take that opinion on board's fine, but I've never been a yes man. I think everyone that's worked with me has appreciated my honesty, and I'll never change. You know, it gets me into a bit of trouble sometimes, but I'll, I'll take that. But uh, with, with Nick, great relationship. Uh, spoke to him regular, kept him informed, all decisions. But obviously, as, as a manager, you, you live on what the club's budgets are at the time. You do your job to your best ability. But that relationship between manager and chairman is vital. He's, he's so vital. And uh, I certainly had a great relationship with Nick. I'm, I'm, I'm nothing but respect for him. Yeah, he comes in for a hard time, but um, he he let go of control and he went it went over to the Alcardis in February of that year. Um, did, do yeah. you think that had an impact on the promotion push? Honestly, no. If I'm honest, I no got lift. the culture at the club. No, I wouldn't say necessarily. I, yeah, I suppose it did, I might be telling. I suppose it did give a bit of a lift because everybody thought, "Wow, what's going to happen here?" You know this is going to be a massive lift-off. But it didn't change anything regarding, you know, where the budget was. I think we mm-hmm. brought in Rory Gaffney, who was a, who was a big sign, and we made a, paid a very small fee for eventually. But uh, with regards to that, I think it gave the fans a massive lift, if I'm honest with you. For me, my environment, you know, my culture that I'd set, it was a, there's a couple of key, key elements in that season that I thought, yeah, We'd, we'd, we'd got a few 30-plus-year-old players and uh, I think we're about halfway through the season, if I can remember right. And I mentioned about if we get promoted, everyone's going to be offered another deal on the minimum of what they was earning now. And with that, mm-hmm. with the seven or eight senior players that we had, that gave everybody a lift because they wasn't always playing. You know, I had Liam Lawrence, Jermaine Easter, Steve Milden, or Mark McChrystal, uh, Lee Mansell. And uh, it was a case of... Pulled it, pulled it together that in that sort of aspect, and uh, we sort of had an amazing run, didn't we? The back end of the season, mm, absolutely. So I can remember yeah. the first game, hey, the first game of the season, we got beat one nil at home to Northampton. I thought we were shocking. Taylor went through, I think, missed a one on one, but I thought we were awful. And I was saying to my staff after the game, we're bloody hell, we're going to get relegated here. By the way, we are that bad, but <laughs> we certainly, <laughs> we certainly turned the corner. 
So, wasn't uh, that John Joe O'Toole? I'm sure that John Joe O'Toole scored that goal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Typical eye, yeah, JJ, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we didn't get off to the best start again. So, but uh, it, was, it was a great ending. Mm, yeah, so talk us about that Dagenham game. Uh, we were an outside shot for automatics. To be honest, most people seem to expect us to get playoffs. Uh, how did you approach the game knowing that? Yeah, I, I, uh, I just had a funny feeling that we could do it. And I, we built that positivity building up towards the week of that game. And if you can remember, right, I changed the, you know, something that, that I got a lot of stick for at the time was a Stevenage nil-nil away mm. from home. Yeah, I was there. I made some changes. Yeah, yeah, you're probably the one hammering me, but not, <laughs> I'll not let you off. But anyway, right. But I made some changes because I knew Stevenage was on a good run at the time. And I, I genuinely thought a point would be a good result there. I think there'd be quite a few teams on the way there. But everybody thought it was a bit of a negative. Listen, I went to win the game, but I made some, you know, I think I went, I don't know if I changed the shape, to be honest with really, you. You put Goz in centre-mid, I believe. I'm pretty sure Goz did I? Oh, yeah. I, must have, I must have been pissed then. But no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, but I changed things and freshened things up. Because it was it a Tuesday night, if I can remember right? Yeah, it was a Tuesday yeah, it night, was. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that point was actually crucial, you know, because we would have lost that game. Uh, you know, we'd, uh, we, we wouldn't have obviously gone up. So, uh, and it was a big thing to do to make the changes I did. The game wasn't a classic and uh, it could have probably gone either way. But I, I got a lot of stick for that one, wasn't it? So uh, leading back into the Dagnum game, I, t- I still felt we could do it. Mm. You were always confident then? I was, yeah. I thought there'd be a little twist somewhere along the lines. And how did you uh, how did you kind of convey that to the players then? What Were you going in there all guns blazing? What? No, no, no. For me, it was about, right, I did the permutation on the board, right? So whatever happens, we've got to win this game. So for me, is is how much are we going to hate ourselves if we don't win this game and something goes well elsewhere? So mm-hmm. we've done this. Obviously, this is a small detail to what goes into the managing of an actual game. But for me, it was about making sure that we did our job. And I thought it was excellent on the day. I don't know how many, mm-hmm. we missed, how many chances we missed. Their keepers pulled off some great saves. And I was, I was nearly in tears on the sidelines. So much passion coming through. And I was thinking, oh, wow. Now, acquisition still nil-nil. Oxford's gone. They, they, they were winning comfortably. I was thinking, we're going to blow this here. And it was, mm-hmm. it was such, a, such a great game. And great, great memories. Well, it couldn't have gone much better in the end, could it? I mean, that the way that we won that game is, I'll, I'll happily say, it's my. It will never be beaten, I don't think. So, if if you could bottle one feeling to open and relive whenever you wanted, Mance's penalty yeah. or Browner's. Oof, I'd have to go Mansell's penalty because I think really? that was the whole future of the club. I do, I mm. do genuinely believe it was the whole future of the club. And uh, I think I, I do that genuinely think we'd still be probably be in non-league if that penalty, if the penalty shoot doesn't doesn't go our way. So for that, that but on a pure adrenaline and emotion, missing that many chances and knowing you know the result was going quite well for us elsewhere was 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 just truly unbelievable. To be honest, I can remember doing the pylon in the corner. So. Yeah, yeah, you really, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you went about it right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not very professional again, but uh, no, it was great. Great day. I don't think anyone was looking for you to be professional at that point, to be honest. I think think the rule book gets torn up. I know, I'm just thinking of how many years I've been taking on my life in these games, to be honest with you, because I am a heart on my sleeve. I care massively about 
uh, you know, about winning football games and, and, and making people happy and seeing the fans celebrate that goal and my players, you know, such a relief. Yeah, and it's going to take some topping for the best feeling in football that game, isn't it? Yeah, it, it will do. Yeah, it will do. But I'll still be trying to reach those highs, that's for sure. Mm. And and the well-deserved celebrations that night. There's you've got to have some stories there with the players and fans, surely. <laughs> what I can remember there. Now it was an amazing <laughs> night, wasn't it? I, it was. Uh, it was truly a truly amazing night. We uh, we had a good laugh, didn't we? I think it was more. I mean, the more more the different ones was what was the the Vic, wasn't it? Before the the after the playoffs in the national yeah. and the uh, and the one after, but uh, it was it was crazy, you know. After that game, you know what footballers like they're absolutely buzzing, but obviously promoted and and whatnot. But even more of a buzz is that they didn't have to go through the playoffs and <laughs> get a bit more yeah. holiday time as well. So yeah, no, it was it was great. I can't remember to be honest a lot about that night. To be honest. I'd had a few too many on the rare occasions. I like a little tipple. <laughs> yeah, well, to quote Nathan Blissett, he said, Daryl Clark, he, he paused for thought and then he said, that man loves a beer. <laughs> no, I, I, do you know what I've gone down? To be fair, right? I mean, I, as a football man, you don't really get to drink that much. I'll have a, I'll have a little glass of wine now, to be honest. But I can always remember the, the Vic story. That was brilliant. That, 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 that was a great day because me, Steve Yates and, and, I, and, and my wife and his wife, we was, we was going to go out for a bite to eat down at Porter's Head. But uh, for whatever reason, I think we got a taxi and the Vic was bouncing. I went, hey, I'll pull up here and let's go and have a pint in here. And I've never done anything like that before. And I just went in there singing and it was it was brilliant. And, you know, I don't... I've always, I've always thought, I've always tried to be one of those that mix in with fans as much as I can and be as honest as I possibly can with supporters. And uh, to, to go in there and have a drink and have a few pints and have a laugh with the fans were, were great. And uh, obviously the, the speeches are still available. I think people tell me and keep reminding me. But uh, they, oh, it they, went they, a little bit viral, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but for me, you, see, you know, managers, you don't want to be politicians all the time. It's a working man's game, isn't it? Football and. And for me, why can't you share success as a manager with fans that have spent their hard-earned money and have a celebration? I think that they're the right times to do it. Albeit we, won <laughs> Albeit we hadn't won promotion yet, had we? So uh, yeah. maybe a bit premature. No, I think that's that's what made it so special. I think we had a, a connection with that that side more than we've ever seen since. You know, there was there was a real bond between the the actual players and the fans and and yourself and the fans. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But you have to build that and you yeah. build trust. I think that uh, our fans at the time were... were. Uh, what I'll always say about the, the, the Rovers fans is that they always, for me, gave you an opportunity. I loved I loved managing games at the Mem uh, majority of times because I think the... And this is how I built it, is that I, whether we'd lost the previous week or lost the previous home game, I think the Bristol Rovers fans always give you a chance as you walk across that pitch. Mm. Nine times out of ten, they'll get right behind you. And if the tone and the tempo of the match is good, the fans will be right behind you. And I think that's all you can ever ask for as a manager. Yeah, they let you know. You know about it if you uh, you put in a bad performance. And we certainly had a few torrids along the way. But they, they was willing to forgive as long as you, the next game you was at it. And uh, that, that's why I'll always remember about the, the, the Rovers fans. They were, they were a good bunch. And nothing cemented that trust with the fans more than, than you turning down Leeds United's approach that summer uh, after the promotion. Um, 
don't want to go over it too much because you've said things in interviews before, but Tom Meadowcroft uh, sent us in a question asking, what were the assurances given to you by the owners that kept you away from Leeds? Yeah, I thought it was building a football club. So uh, as it happens, what, what, what basically happened is the two, the two clubs agreed the compensation uh, and that was without me sort of knowing, which if I'm honest with you, a little bit aggrieved because I'm thinking, well, I thought it was worth a few more quid more than that. Only joking, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? But but for me, it was it was the fact is that I hadn't made my mind up, and I wanted over the weekend. I did make my mind up going going and and, and turning it down because I believe it was building obviously a football club, a new stadium, new training ground, and that we was really fighting to kick on to go and be a championship club and and give give a club to what I think the supporters deserve. And I thought we'd go somewhere, so I took the I, I took that and I thought, yeah, everybody calls me crazy now. Will I ever get that opportunity again? Probably not, but I'm still young enough. But you never know. But I think you've got a you, loyalty. Bristol Rovers was very loyal to me. You know, Nick Higgs was very loyal to me. That's why you know I speak highly of him because there are opportunities to get rid of me, and the fans, unbelievably, were very loyal to me as well. So uh, I showed the loyalty because. A loyalty and B because I thought we was going to go somewhere. You you thought you say you thought we were going to go somewhere. Was that because of any conversations you had with with the new owners or or anything in particular? I mean, you say yeah, they regular, regular the day. I mean, you, you say owners. You know, mm. why uh, a nice guy? He's very passionate about the club. But you know, he, my he was the president of the club. But we obviously had Steve Aimer, the chairman, as well. So, but the owner, I, I only had two, three chats with or discussions with Hanny over the course of my stay there and while I was the president but uh, you know Hanny was the you know the, the, the family was the the picture of where you know while wanted the new state wanted the training ground but then then all of a sudden things were starting to change over a period of time which is fine it's the, the football the football politics so to speak and uh, it's certainly gone from thinking that there's going to be this club's going to be great you know, I felt I felt we had a real connection between myself, the players, and the fans. I feel I understood the football club, and I was really keen to kick that on. But obviously, mm-hmm. it wasn't to be. Mm-hmm. And you say that they accepted the compensation from Leeds. Did they? Did they try to keep you at that point, even though they had accepted the fee? Did they try and talk you into staying? Or oh, well, they, 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 it wasn't. There wasn't a lot. If I can remember right, there wasn't a lot of dialogue between me and YL. Steve Hamer was speaking to the, the then Leeds owner Massimo. So uh, and then then I find out that uh, got told that the, the clubs agreed. I spoke to to Mr. Celino. I spoke to him. I said I'd make my mind up over the weekend, and and, and the rest is history, really. And you think you made the right decision? Still, I mean, that's. Oh, uh, listen, I, 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 listen. Yeah, and, and people, and there'll be a lot of people that judge this, and that's fine. For me, I think I made the right call because was I ready for the lead job? No. Could I manage a championship club now? Yes, I think that bit more experience. But but the fact for me is 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 there was dirt things, certain things at Leeds United that I wouldn't have had control in. And that was that wasn't me, but the main thing is was loyalty. To be honest with you, and uh, some people say more fool me for that, but the loyalty was the the, the the main thing. And I think you've got to you've got to give something back to the you know 
back to a club that's given given you the opportunity and uh, and obviously thinking that we're going to be we're moving forward no, it says a lot about your character that loyalty is that important i think everyone everyone felt that as well um speaking of loyalty uh that season in league 1 2016-17 that was a pretty you know there was a, a nuclear bomb that rocked the club in january we have a question from supporter Andrew Strong on Twitter that asks, what is the truth about Matty Taylor that you referred to in your first interview after he left? Yeah, so uh, so basically, obviously, with, with Matty, and uh, he was going to... Uh, he was only... A lot of clubs, obviously, interested in the lad, and uh, he scored a lot of goals for us, and he, you know, him and his agent, they were only going to sign a deal that, were, that had a release clause in it because he, he did want to play higher. And uh, understand that as a as a footballer. So uh, we we made the decision that uh, his goals would probably give us a good good chance of staying in League One, having having back to back promotions. So uh, we took that we took that up and thought, great, we know we've got a goal scorer in our ranks. And uh, and uh, the interview I think that people say was that once sold Matty Taylor for millions was was me trying my best with Bristol Rovers to get the the best price for him because I knew there was a lot of interest for him because he started the season pretty pretty well. So because it was a minimum release uh, release fee on it, so uh, if you can get two or three clubs, obviously the the price goes up 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 up, up and up and up. So, but uh, unfortunately, that was the case. It was just the, the one club that, that bid for him, came in for him, and uh, unfortunately, we, we we didn't get the asking price. And no doubt, there'll be many men out there that goes, "Well, we shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have not done that." But the fact of the matter is, he's, he still scored a lot of goals to help us to to get a top ten finish in the one. Does that make sense? So, uh, yeah, yeah, it does. I mean. Yeah, it's obviously uh it's obviously a painful one for for a lot of supporters. Do you so you don't regret the decision to put the clause in because obviously we would have lost Listen, it. Listen, I had the, the, from, from where I was is is like, we obviously come up quickly in the two divisions. He, he was our main talesman. The, the he was he was a great lad in the change rooms and I believed he'd score goals at League 1. So, and a minimum fee you you know, which was still a decent fee. To be honest with you, but was it was it was one of those that you don't ideally want them in contracts. To be honest with you, however, when you're looking at the pros and cons, and I'm, I'm sure the people will make decisions whether that was a right move or, or not. But for me, I thought it was a it was a it was a right move. But unfortunately, obviously, he went to the red side, and obviously, he was uh, was not good. Mm. Do you do you think City bought him to spite us, or because they actually needed and wanted him? I don't think they did it to spite us. If I'm honest with you, I find it uh, it's a little bit strange because I, I spoke to. Uh, I personally thought he just fell a little bit short at the time to be Championship player. You know, he had he had areas that he needed to improve on coming into the pro game, uh, the the league game, a little bit late. So, but uh, I, I think. Uh, I don't think they'd have done it for spite. You'd like to not think so, but we was flying at the time, so I can I can see why people sort of make that opinion. But mm. as it happens, he, he didn't play a great deal at, uh, at Bristol City, but he's a he's a great lad for me. He, he did great for the football club, but obviously a, a bit of sour taste at, at the end there. And uh, mm. I tried everything in my power to to try and get him to to go to other clubs, but the the the, the other clubs w- wasn't interested at the time. To be honest with you, because obviously I didn't want to go to the to the red side, but. He, he did what he needed to do for his uh, for his family. Mm. Do you think Taylor was naive and sh- or short sighted in taking that move, or do you not blame him? 
I think for footballers, loyalty, no. There's, there's not there's not many footballers at loyalty, you know, and he, he secured probably himself a life with that move. Does that make sense? Yeah, is, there, yeah. is there many people out there that would have took that move? Mm. I wouldn't have took the move. Do you know what I mean? But you're looking at a small minority, let's be honest, when you when you take it out of it. And the same as I said to people before, if, if a club's going to go and treble wages in any workforce or whatever you do, nine, nine times out of ten you're going, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And footballers are no different. Unfortunately, but that's that's the case. Mm. After after Taylor left, you gave a lengthy interview with the club that reassured and calmed down the whole fan base. Did you realise that the fan base almost needed managing at that point, and did you take the role upon yourself? Yeah, definitely, because my fans would have been on the floor. So it's up to me as manager to pick it up and pick my change rooms up. And uh, I've certainly never built a team on one individual player. And it wasn't like that in the environment. The, the spirit with amongst the players was always, always fantastic. And we, we, we lost good players along the way, but the, the spirit and the environment kept exactly the same. The standards of, of how we trained and, and prepared ga- uh, for, for games was exactly the same. So, uh, But I knew my fans needed lifting. They needed to feel that that belief because obviously, you know, the, we still go, we wanted, we wanted to get to the championship. Mm. And although you couldn't say it publicly, were, were you concerned deep down about our lack of striker options after losing him on the final day? Because the, it seemed a big <laughs> leap of faith to back Luke James to take the goal scoring mantle. It did, but uh, for for me, is the, the market was very very inflated in January, and uh, it was it was a time where all of a sudden you lose your main marks, but there's not a lot obviously time in the day anyway to get somebody in, and the prices were were were, were way way too too expensive for ourselves. So uh, we, you know, what as a manager there, you go out there and you put faith in the lads you've got, isn't it? Mm. You know, I'm not going to come out there and go. Well, this is what we've got. You know, probably not good enough. You, you try and give the other lads a boost, don't you? So, yeah. uh, and, that, and that's and that's where you go from from there. Did we come close to signing anyone at that window? No, no. To be honest with you, because I wouldn't waste. You know, I've I've made some bad signings. Obviously, every manager does, but certainly I wouldn't. At that point, there was. It was too much of a well. I couldn't do it anyway because we, you know, you have your six. You, you've got your rules and your fair play rules anyway. I know we've got a bit of money from Mike Taylor, but there wasn't the right sort of player out there at the time and the right price at that late in the day to mm-hmm. to 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 bring in. Ricky Miller was was rumored. Was there anything in that one? No, okay. no, no, not at all. He's a uh, you know, Ricky Miller was a was a decent non-league player, but uh, no. Not one interest from me. I don't think he had the, the right personality for, for what I wanted in the group as well, if I'm honest. Fair enough. If you um if we if Matty had stayed, do you believe that we'd have had a shot at the playoffs that season? Seven points off, weren't we? Mm. Uh, yes. I do. It seems to me as if you Honestly. shored up the defence that window and then the yeah, we lost our ever strong attack. So it, Yeah, I mean it's it hard to in. say that, but you know, Maybe, maybe, maybe just missed out. I think, uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one, really, isn't it? You, you always, you never want to lose your goal scorers, and uh, they're the hardest players to replace. And uh, certainly might have cost us. Yeah, I, I think he'd uh, he'd have got he'd have got plenty of goals from them until the end of the season. That's for sure. Mm. 
Okay, moving on to the second season in League One. Um, there's one player that that really jumps out at me here, and that's Ellis Harrison. Um, I was going to mention him in the conference season, but I thought it was better to kind of sum it up here because he came on leaps and bounds in that promotion from from non-league, but he, he went a bit more quiet in the seasons that that passed after that. But this season, 2017-18, he was top scorer in League One. What what do you think it was that clicked for him? I love Ellis. Great lad. Real, real good lad. Real, real good character. Uh, always had the tools, if I'm honest with you. We just had different you know, man managing man management of players. I can remember putting him on the list when I first took over in the summer. Obviously, after the eight games, I put him on the transfer list. But I said, if his attitude changes and does what he wants, I want him, want him to do, he'd be a part. Scored plenty of goals in the conference. Then he went to a little bit back to type and he weren't happy that he weren't playing. So I sent him up loan to Hartlepool. I uh, still wanted to come back after that. And then, you know, and <laughs> new Ellis come back in again. And this is part of developing players, though, isn't it? You know, if you've got the tools, and to be fair to Ellis, he's a winner. He's a born winner, is Ellis. So, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he just needed to be managed in, in different ways of, uh, as, as different players need to be, to be managed. And uh, certainly, I'd, he, he did great for me, Ellis. And I still keep in touch with him now, as I do me my old players that give me everything and, and brought a lot of success to the club. You got any stories we won't have heard about Ellis's antics? I mean, everyone's oh, aware that his character's special. Listen, it's just uh, he's just daft as a brush, but you, you need one of those in your change rooms, to be honest with you. But he's 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 a he's a, he's a hell of a character. I can remember him throwing a punch at Matty Arrow one training session. I love that, to be honest. With you. Not not listen, Matty. Matty's a good lad, by the way, Matty Arrow. But I can remember him sticking up for himself uh, in in one particular. Time. I think I may have been the assistant manager at the time. And I thought, you know, he's got a bit about him, Ellis. He'll stick up for his teammate. He's a good lad and he's well loved. You know, lads love Ellis because, uh, and there'll be many, many choices of footballers. You know, and a lot of footballers move clubs and don't keep in touch with the, the teammates they've actually played for. But I'd imagine Ellis, the way he was and the way he actually he got a good art, Ellis. A lot of people, you know, still keep in touch with him. So, uh, no, nothing, nothing but praise for the lad. But he does need a clip round the ear all on a regular basis. Any big arguments? Yeah. Any any big fallings out between the two of you? Nah, listen, I've, I love it in the in the office. We, I, I, I've always I've always had an open office. So players can come in there. We have fallouts. It's good. It gets a bit heated. I don't mind that. And I give them my story of what. Why I've, why I've made the decision and I don't get players off it I feel that a lot of my players hopefully that have played with me is is the trust when you go into my office they're not going to be when I've been a player and they've told me the biggest load of pack of lies managers and this is why when they haven't given me the hard truth I give them the facts sometimes they don't like the facts I tell them what they need to do and sometimes it can just be a tactical decision so you know me and Alice Alice knock on the door a lot and I, and I like players not happy when they're not playing to be honest with you because there's some players out there that, uh, believe it or not, are happy just to pick up their wages and you soon got to get rid of those ones. Mm. And Ellis played a part as scout, believe it or not, as um, as we signed Billy Bowden. Um, oh, he gives it that, doesn't he, Ellis? Yeah, <laughs> to be fair to Ellis, to be fair to Ellis, he mentioned him one day and then I did my own work on him and had a little look and I thought, well, he's worth he's worth having a look at there. He's obviously Billy's a... He's, he's had an injury, so we we'll watched the videos and the potential. But uh, and he played as a centre forward a lot of the time, hadn't he? Mm. But we, we got him in there. We got him in. He was miles below on fitness levels, 
uh, worked with him for a bit and uh, decided to pull him off and put him on a non-contract to start off with because he had he had good feet, you know, he, he had a, he had a good good ability and the making of him was was me uh, for me pulling him on the right hand side coming inside on his left foot because he, he liked to play the 10 role. He'd probably still tell you now, Billy, that he, he's a number 10, but he's not for me, right? <laughs> so we had disagreements about that on numerous occasions. But for me, putting him on that right and giving him a bit of a licence sometimes to go across the pitch and having good fullbacks to get around the outside of him was the making of him because he, he, he had tremendous ability. And he, he'd left in the January of that season. But... Um... He was replaced by Kyle Bennett. I thought you know his name was going to, was going to come up. Um, did you see similarities in their games? Why did you think? Yeah, he was I did. A- Listen, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be overcritical of, of players. Some some signings work, some don't. That's the fact of the matter. And uh, Kyle hasn't got himself going on a, on a regular basis. Never never really for me to be honest with you. But uh, I, you know, and Kyle's one of those players that. Still trained hard, gave me everything. Frustrated too much and never hit the ground running. To be honest with you, but that, that that's that's football management. You're not you're not always going to be a hit on your on your on your signings. And uh, Kyle's probably probably in himself disappointed, but uh, it's certainly not a problem with it. Never was a problem with me with any of my players because if there was, they know about it. Is his attitude and and uh, and applying themselves right in training and and, and matches. And Kyle's attitude was was spot on. Yeah, no, spot on. No problems at all with him. He's a nice kid. He's he's quite popular in the changing rooms. Got very good, uh, you know, very good technical ability, but uh, not not hit, obviously not really got himself going as as to the form that that we that the fans had want him to be in. And um, I mean, Carl's not necessarily a leader on the pitch, and we did sign Tony Craig that window. Were you trying to replace some of the character that had been lost with Mansell, Mildenhall, McChrystal? Yeah, yeah. Tony was a Tony was a great signing. Tony's Tony Tony Tony's a proper old school leader. Tony Craig, and uh, obviously playing for Millwall, he, he was he was he's very tough, very honest as a day. Lacks, lacks a bit of pace but for his experience and his wisdom in the changing rooms and for what he brought brought to the squad and to the team was a was a very good signing for me and uh, he's he's uh, he, he gets the rest of the lads going expects high standards yet again talking about the environment and whatnot so uh, yeah certainly certainly did uh, did very well for me Tony mm. moving on to the the final season um, it seemed like fans could sense that you were kind of frustrated with the off-field progress that seemed to come to a head that season. Um, he, lots of talk yeah, about the infrastructure yeah, at the club. and That's the fair point. But, but what, what, I, what I will say is, is and I'm sure the powers will be able to tell you this, it's nothing I didn't say to them, mm. you know, to be honest with you, because I was sick of sitting down with architects and telling me what a training ground is going to look like. And you know nothing come production of it. You know we were supposed to be building a football club. Uh, we, we built the staff up to be fair, and you know the owners uh, they, they did the pitch, which is a tremendous pitch. But I was I was frustrated because, in all honesty, there was no point unless you got the training ground. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because we still only had the one pitch at Cribs. Uh, we'd get chucked off that at certain points, and, and to be a Championship club now. 
you've got to you've got to have all those things in place, in my opinion. But I, you know, if I if I look back in honesty, I probably cared too much and got into involved too much in the, in the politics of the football club. I feel that there has to be clarity. I think otherwise that splits your fan base and brings negativity, and that sometimes can go out onto the pitch as well. So uh, it was it was frustrating. Well, certainly my relationship with the the powers that be was was fine because I told them how it was, to be honest with you, to get this club where I think we needed to be. We had to get the thing spot on and uh, over a period of times of meetings and this, that and the other and nothing really happening. I think uh, you, you do get frustrated, but like I say, probably got myself too much involved in it. Yeah, you gave quite a few fiery interviews during that season about the club kind of stagnating yeah. off the pitch and stuff. Do you regret yeah. how involved you were? No, I don't. No, not at all, because I was trying to build a siege mentality as well, because we was underperforming. Let's let's get that right. You know, I'd, I'd made some signings that, that hadn't hit the ground running, didn't do well. We, there wasn't a lot in the games, and in majority of games, we was, we was on top, but we didn't finish our chances. Uh, we'd lost goals out of the team we're selling Matty Taylor Billy Bowden Alex Harrison um, and the big factor is, is we didn't replace those goals and uh, but I was I don't I don't regret that because I think anybody in my situation of, of committing and uh, and whatnot and, and thinking it w- would be natural to be frustrated but like I say I, I did get too involved and there's nothing there's nothing that I didn't say out into the public that I didn't say to 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 YL and, and the chairman and, and and Martin and whatnot. I was I was getting frustrated because I still genuinely believe it now. To be honest with you, I, I think that the club needs the proper facilities to to kick on. And I think uh, as well, uh, I think I have to be at a club that wants to move forward. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, is keeping Bristol. You know, some fans might say keeping Bristol Rovers in League One's success. But for me, success is to keep building. And we never spent ridiculous amounts of money. That I can tell you. We, we always, you know, I, I always, we was always under the, the 60% of what you was allowed to spend. That's for sure. If anything, wages on improving the staff that the, the owners wanted to do and to improve the, the club so that we could push the championship or start to start being hitting a brick wall. And uh, I think the... I think when I worked it out when I when I left that we with the players in and out of the club I think I made nearly a million pounds on player sales in and out of the club well that was profit so I think I had every right to feel a little bit aggrieved but like I say I'll never I'll never do it again to be honest with you. I won't get involved in politics and football clubs ever again to be honest with you I think it was me me caring too much it and uh, taking it personal and wanting to build that siege mentality mm, and it sounds like it's understandable as as any person would be to be frustrated at your workplace if you've kind of almost been sold. And I'm frustrated as well on results as well. Mm. I'm a passionate guy. I think my fans and my supporters knew that. And uh, you know, I'm all on the sleeve, and you see a lot of emotion on me on me uh, after after games and whatnot. So, uh, but that's that's the way I am, and uh, you know, and that's that's you take it or leave it. That's 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 what I am. Sometimes my passion takes over. But yeah. I can remember, I can remember before the Doncaster game, my last game there, I had a board meeting on the Friday and uh, I told them what I'd be saying after the game. So this is, you know, people don't realise or understand this. I told the whole board what I'd be saying after the game and I gave them an opportunity to put out there where I thought we was going as a football club. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So everybody think, you know, we, we got beat 4-0. It was awful on the day. But, every, you know, but that was, that was me trying to build a siege mentality of an underperforming team and an underperforming manager because we was underperforming that season. And bear in mind, for me, that was the only time we'd underperformed in the whole course of my, my stay there because we did have, and I, and I tell you this for a fact, we did have bottom six, bottom eight budget, I think, in the, the second year in League One when we finished 13, bottom six budget when we finished 10. So we had overachieved, and I know that because I used to get the, the things through from the financial director. But there, we was underachieving, and it was the biggest budget that had, that had been had at Bristol Rovers, albeit it was no, nowhere near a top six budget. But we, there, there was a frustration about that. And there was a frustration with me that we wasn't going where we needed to go. I think, uh, you know, while very passionate about the football club, obviously cares about Bristol Rovers. Great guy. But you've got to have everybody singing off that M sheet, haven't you? Mm-hmm. To move the club where Bristol Rovers needs to be. And I never felt that was the case. And the longer that went on, I, I always thought that, you know, we're flogging a dead horse here. I mean, you talk about us underachieving on the pitch and kind of admit that it was the biggest budget you've had and it just it wasn't working that season. Do you think that your attention being on all this meant that your full attention was not on the playing side? No, I never. I ne- no, no. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to make excuses for that. I, I believe me personally, I got involved too much in the politics. But for me, I was very professional of what I was preparing my team, working on the mindset of the players. And like I say, I think the biggest thing we was missing in that spell was goals. I know every manager can say that up and down the country. Uh, but, you know, eventually it was it was the goals that was costing us. And I was taking it to heart because I'm a passionate guy. We'd obviously worked hard to get the club where, where it needed to be. And I, and I wanted to build that siege mentality. And like I say, that was that's why... I, that's what I said at the, the board meeting on, the, the, I think it was the Friday before the Doncaster game. And, and obviously I was disappointed with the de- defeat, but I still said what I had to say after the game. Mm. Did you, could you sense that your departure was coming? Did you, you know, did you go into that game thinking it would be your last? Well, listen, no, because I mean, everybody, you, you're, people automatically think I was sacked from Bristol Rovers. Right. For me, it was a case of it was mutual. And I, and I like to think that people believe that. They can and they can't. They can take it or leave it with me. But the fact, that, the fact of the matter is, is that I was that point of frustration. I was frustrated with my team. I was frustrated. I would have put things right, I believe, in the window anyway. But it just got to the point I thought it was the right time for both myself and both the football club. And uh, me and Martin had that conversation. And uh, to, to, I don't think the powers of B would have been happy with you know what I'd actually said after the game but it's nothing that they didn't know what was coming <laughs> mm. but uh and certainly for me it was it was uh trying to build that siege mentality but then uh, we, we obviously parted ways mm. so your relationship with the with the board you, you've kind of you haven't said that it was that it was bad but that you were frustrated with the way that you thought things were going no it was never bad never bad the tech wild the other day obviously you know lost his father and whatnot and uh, I speak to speak to Steve Amo, speak to Martin Starnes, I speak to, you know, the relationship was never bad because I was honest. Mm. Anybody, any, anybody would be frustrated. All I wanted was to to keep moving the football club forward. And I think we missed a massive opportunity when we finished, certainly when we finished 10th in League One to move that football club forward. Mm. Really, for me, it was, it was, that was the time and uh, and that frustration over period 
like I say, I got too, too, too involved in. Normally when a manager leaves a club, you, you experience the home fans turn on the manager, but it didn't, to me at least, it didn't feel like that happened with you because there was this like affection and respect the fan base has for you and still does, I think. Um, did that make how the time at Rovers ended any easier for you? Uh, no, it didn't. It was it was very tough. I was very emotional. And the, the, I knew it was coming, obviously, because we we spoke a few days uh, and, and I knew what was happening. But none of my staff or my players knew what was was coming. But I knew what was coming, and, and uh, just had to sort one or two things out with the, with the football club. So it was a very emotional day when I was saying bye to the players. Certainly, players that had served me well. Uh, obviously, I think there's a few that let me down at the back end, but uh, you know, it's, that's football. That's football management. It's never always going to go swimming in the in, in the garden. Everything's all going to be rosy. So it was a very emotional day for me. I was a very emotional man. It was it was an end of a, a very special era for me, and uh, so, so, certainly, uh, certainly, it's. It, it's <laughs> It was, uh, if anything, if you, if I'm honest with myself, I probably should have left 12 months earlier. I should have left in the summer, if I'm honest with you. Because, not because I wasn't doing my job professionally, I never shortchanged the Rovers fans, ever. Do you know what I mean? I just knew that, the, for me, the club wasn't going to be going where we needed it to go. Mm. Would you say that some of the underperforming high-profile signings that were supposed to replace key outgoing players were part of your downfall. I mean, Tom Nichols. Oh yeah, Dane. listen, they did, yeah, yeah. Tom Nichols, great lad, great pro. I really like him. I do. Do you know what I mean? But he just didn't score goals. That's the fact of the matter. No problem with his attitude. Stephen Payne didn't work. Simple as that one for me. Do you know what I mean? For whatever reason, didn't endear himself to the fans. It's disastrous what he did, and, and totally, you know, I had to find it, find him for what he did there. And, uh, you know, Kyle Bennett didn't really get going. But other than that, you know, we, we ran a sensible ship. It was, it, was a, it was a sensible budget. It was a mid-table League One budget. So let's, let's not get carried away as in to say we're splashing loads and loads and loads of money. But the fact of the matter is the players that are brought in, certainly that season, didn't work. And uh, that can happen to, to any manager up and down the country. And it was, it was a frustrating frustrating aspect uh, I think one of the key elements as well was, it was Chris Lyons was going through some personal issues as well which didn't I don't think ever replaced him in the centre midfield to be honest with you as well so there's, there's lots of things I can look back at of not getting the results but one of the biggest areas was we, we wasn't finished scoring, uh, scoring finishing the chances we were creating why, do, why don't you think that those striker signings in particular but also a lot of the you know Bennett included what changed there with recruitment why don't you think they were successful oh, listen the, the book's not with me yeah. the, the problem is is that Ellis, Ellis went to two weeks I think it was three quarters of a million uh, and he went to I can't remember exactly exact fee but he went far off there and I think uh, he it uh, was I know we we had one or two, and no, Tommy's was top of the list. They want they want sell him. Uh, Jalen Stockley had a big, big sell on fee at uh, Exeter. Stephen Payne had done, obviously done quite well. You know, he, he was the really because we were pretty late in late in the day, as I can remember, right? Eleven, twelve days, you know, of of the window of the of the season kicking off, so to speak. And Gaffney wanted away because he, he wanted this was pre Ellis going and Salford had made him a, a ridiculous offer so uh, 
and and yeah, and, you know, Payne came in, and it, it, like I say, I think it's very difficult at Bristol Rovers as a strike if you don't get off very well, and I think the pressure builds and mounts, and and certainly, he, he, you know, he didn't didn't help himself, and as results get negative, fans turn, you know, and you've got to turn that round, and unfortunately, we didn't turn it round. Mm. But you spoke so so strongly about the building the environment and the culture in the non-league season and that was obviously so important to you going forward with the signings like Tony Craig but do you think with some of your some of your final signings that you lost a bit of that or do you do you think they just didn't work out I don't listen I was I'm a strong I believe I'm a strong manager there was nothing wrong with the environment there it takes a bit of while for lads to fit in, but the, 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 for for me, it was the lads that I brought in, not in the standards that I expected of them. There wasn't a lack of effort, desire. We monitor, you know, as managers now, we monitor absolutely everything: the training, the, the minutes, the high sprints, the IXLs, the the stats in games, watching games back. There's no real hiding places for football. But the fact of the matter is, at times, is if you're not scoring goals, which let's be honest, if you if you used to go back and watch the games through the course of that season, a lot of it was putting the ball in the back of the net. And for me, we didn't re- replace the goals. And I suppose you can say for a manager, we'd lost Taylor, who's the top goal scorer, wasn't he? Bodin was up the top goal scorer. Ellis was eventually catches up with you, I'm afraid. And and one or two replacements that that come in don't don't work. And that ends up with the managers leaving, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, when you did leave, did you spend some time reflecting on that experience at Rovers and trying to analyse where so, things went wrong? Or? Yeah, it, it took, yeah, definitely, definitely. Took, took, a, took a while for me to get over it, to be honest with you. And uh, because, obviously, a special affinity with a football club and, uh, and whatnot, good people there. And uh, yeah, and then you go away and analyse it, and you recharge, and you reboot yourself, and you you build ready for your for your next project, which is obviously at Warsaw, which I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying. And uh, we've got real good people at the football club, uh, chairman Stefan and and Dan. It's a real tight knit group. The club's made a profit over the last thirteen years, ran the right way. Uh, we do everything sensible, and it's a, it's a real good challenge. And uh, it's took. <laughs> I was surprised the Bristol Rovers fans, but it took a little bit of time to to get it going with the changes we've made. But uh, we seem to be on the right footing now. But uh, obviously, it's uh, it's stalled a little bit with the virus. So, uh, like I said earlier, we had a lot of questions from Gas Eds, unsurprisingly, because there's a lot of stuff that that happened with your exit, and and obviously a lot of good times that you brought to the club. Um, someone called JH on Twitter. If your 36 year old self walked into Rovers as manager tomorrow, what one piece of advice would you give him based on your experience? Be honest. Be honest to the fans. I think they can, like I said before, the Bristol Rovers fans and most football fans, if I'm, if I'm totally honest with you, just honesty, honesty and clarity. And, uh, you know, you, you pull it together. So, so I'd go with honesty. The question from Sam Cope on Twitter. Uh, where do you see the future of Bristol Rovers under the current Al-Qadi ownership? Uh, honestly, as I always say, I, I genuinely think that the, the club uh, potentially might stagnate to a certain degree unless it gets the resources to go further further you know the, the, for me or not it's not changed from t- from many years ago now and the, the gulf between the league one and championship now is absolutely massive and there's some big salaries now in league one let me tell you 
It's a bit mind you that might all change to be honest with you. But for me, I think they need they need they need listen, it's a no brainer, they need the facilities and, and, and will they deliver? I'm not sure. Probably not. And when you speak when you say facilities, you what's is it the training ground in particular, or do you mean the stadiums that the budget increases? And... That's I go training ground number one, stadium number two. But the problem is is that yeah, Bristol Rovers for me, obviously, play, the, the training facilities have to be spot on now if you want to be going up to a different level. You know, Walsall, we own our own training ground, you see. It's a real nice training ground, sufficient, got everything we need there. Not not massive, but you've got to be getting towards that if you want to go to the different level. And, and uh, you, you hear things coming out of the club, they want to go younger, they want to go this and that. But what if you haven't got the facilities to do that? Do, do you know, does that make sense? Mm. And then the revenue of what you you know with the big hitters now in league in league one the revenue that you've got to get through hospitality now and obviously the mems you know not not probably up to having too many events there and whatnot is massive now to be able to go to that next level and uh, you know the, the the club desperately needs that what what is so important about that training ground then? Because you've spoke about it so much. What... You spend your whole day. That's mm. that's that's where you you know, like I said before, you have ninety minutes on uh, Saturday and a Tuesday. But that's that's where that's your environment, isn't it? That's mm. where you build that build that place of where you get your players better. And if certainly if you're going to be working with younger players and uh, and whatnot and trying to 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 build that up, and you, you need a good training ground base, don't you? And ideally, you want that to be of your own. And uh, I think, like I say, that, that that's what it needs. And I don't think that's, that's changed. And how confident would you be in that training ground or stadium or both? Happening? No, not at all. <laughs> I can't lie. Not near, yeah, not, not at all. Uh, you know, but uh, I know how passionate Wiley is and he'll be he's doing his best to do that. But uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm confident, no. But uh, I certainly hope they do because it'd be, it'd be great to see Bristol Rovers in the Championship and pushing on as a football club and, and certainly the fans deserve that. Mm. Uh, moving on to a question from Ollie Nino uh, who says, you built a reputation as being a bit of a, bit of a tinker man during your time at Rovers uh, with the project-based approach and playing two or three different systems in the same game, often changing the side week to week. Uh, what were the pros you felt this style of management gave you over keeping a more settled team? And, and are there any cons? Yeah, I think if you look at the modern day now, uh, I think there's, there's always lots of you know changes and that. And the, the Tinker Man, I've, I've freshened, freshened things up when I felt needed or, or tweaked it. I'm never, I'm not an arrogant person, that's for sure. And I've never, I've always gone with my, my heart and my gut instinct for that particular game. Have I, have I always got it right? Obviously not. Have I made big mistakes along the way? Yes, but I've I've also had success working that way as well, haven't I? So uh, I think as a manager, you've got to believe in what you do, and I and I believe in I believe in myself, I believe in this, my staff, and I believe in the players. And uh, I think you're better off to ask questions to to players that work for me that they they have a total understanding of how I did it and how I worked the game plans. And and I'm sure I'd like to think that they, they realise how professional we was in that approach and. And sometimes the game plan doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely lots of success under that under that approach. Um, Tom Metcalf has asked, biggest regret of a signing at Rovers? Biggest regret? Yeah, look at you. you know, I won't be sitting on the fence. <laughs> I think you've got to look at my last few signings, haven't you? The football club that didn't work, you know. No. So uh, the, you know, the, the, the 12 months 
shall we say, the, the signings certainly in the summer and the, the 12 months, uh, my last 12 months there, I think you've got to look at that they didn't work and you've got to be open and honest about that and uh, obviously disappointed with that. But uh, they certainly they certainly didn't kick us on as a football club, that's for sure. Mm. A uh, question from Lewis Jenkins. Who was the signing that made the biggest impact at Rovers? Mm. There's quite a few, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Chris Lyons, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I am, because I think he brought the centre midfield. I had great dogs in Mance and Ollie Clark and Sinclair, but he brought that real good quality in the middle of the pitch. And I don't think I ever replaced him. You know, we talk about the last 12 months. I don't think I ever replaced Well, Chris Lyons was still there, but he wasn't because he was going through big, big personal issues at the time. And I never really replaced him, to be honest with you. So I think Lyons is up there. Well, there's, there's many I could name. Uh, you know, many lads already in the change rooms. Lee Browns, Ellis Harrison's. Uh, and whatnot, uh, Lee Mansell as well. Great, great pros. Milden all in there. Mark McChrystal. I had some really, real good lads through the through the course of my spells there. Mm. Were there any transfers that fell through that you were particularly gutted about, or or that were really close yeah. that you think? Oh, I never really had that much money to play with. To be <laughs> honest with you, so. Uh, Obviously, all, all managers want certain sort of players. You mentioned like maybe Tommy's or Jaden Stockley before. You know, obviously we brought Stefan in, but uh, you know that might have made the difference. It's such a fine line this game, isn't it? Of, of maybe getting one player that comes to work, but there's no guarantee of any player that you bring into the to a football club whether that signing is going to work or not. You can do all your due diligence, which we do. You can do all your homework as well and speak to other coaches and managers you work for, but there's, there's certainly no guarantees that, that, that any signing is going to work. Mm. When, we, when we went out for questions on this interview, um, put it out on Twitter, inundated with responses, um, we must have received about 50 Rovers fans simply saying, come home uh, and other decent praise. Um, a lot of fans are certainly keen to see you return to the club. <laughs> Uh, would you ever? Do you have unfinished business? Listen, I, I, I don't think you ever rule anything out. I, I love my time there. I really do. Uh, I'm really enjoying, enjoying it at Warsaw. Uh, it's took a bit of time to get going. So the thing is, with a special affinity with Bristol Rovers, it's never, ever going to go away. Uh, there's certainly no, there's no sour grapes from me. I, I've said it how it is. I feel that uh, it's a club that, I know a lot of managers say this, but I, I want them to win every week. I am a fan and I want them to kick on. So you certainly, I never rule it out, but uh, I think time's a good healer on, on certain issues. And, and, and I think uh, I certainly wish Ben and, and, and the coaching staff and the owners and CEO, everybody the best of luck. And, and I hope they kick the, the club forward and they've been having a bit of a, a bad run recently, but I'm, I'm sure they'll get it right. Do you know Ben Garner? No, I don't. No. no, I don't know, Ben. No, no. I might have seen him on a course or whatnot, but uh, obviously it's always difficult for managers when you don't get off to a good start. But like I say, they, they give you a chance. No doubt when the, the last game they, they beat Sunderland, which was a tremendous result, and no doubt that the fans uh, you know, would have got right behind the players. And that's, that's what you can do at Bristol Rovers. And I'm sure he's learning all the time that uh, 
what what needs to be done and and, and hopefully the, he starts moving you back in the right direction mm. and a manager that certainly won't be coming back to Bristol Rovers is uh, is Graham Cufflin. Um Dave Gover sent in a question asking have you spoken to him since he abruptly left Rovers and what did you make of the job he did looking from the outside yeah listen did a, I thought he did an outstanding job uh, yeah he had some good lads in there I think the Clark Harrison signing the goals uh, that I talk about was massively key. I thought he did fantastic. Uh, you know, Graham's got his own reasons why he uh, he didn't finish the job, but uh, I was certainly I was disappointed because you know he he got he got 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 his right up there, and there were some great lads in that change rooms, and it was it was certainly you know looking from the outside in a strange decision. But uh, I certainly I still speak to Graham. He's got his decisions, and but I certainly wouldn't air them. Of, of why and I'm sure there's, there's different reasons but I think uh, I'll leave that for him to to, to say well, that's, that's fair enough well funnily enough he's at Mansfield now right so he must have uh, spoke to you about that one yeah no well, I've, I've had conversations three four five times uh, with, with Cogs uh, I speak to a lot of managers but Cogs I, I get on really well with and uh, like I say he did, a, did a cracking job when I left and, and uh, really kicked, kicked him on which was really pleasing to see and then, obviously, you know, he's made his decisions to move across to Mansfield. So, uh, we still got to play him. So, I'm sure I'll share a beer with him after, after the game. Mm-hmm. And one final question, um, the most important one of the lot. Another guy that does gas cast with me, Tom Metcalf. Um, he asks, when is the Saddlers Club reopening? <laughs> All right. I'm not quite sure on that answer, to be honest with you. Everything's stalled at the minute, to be honest with you. But uh, the Warsaw fans are a great, passionate bunch, to be honest with you. Remind me, very similar to the uh, to the Bristol Rovers fans, to be honest with you. So uh, I'm hopefully looking to forward to building some success uh, here and uh, hopefully try and get them a new bar. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or the bar reopened, should I say. Yeah. On, honestly, Tom never shuts up about this Saddlers Club because it shut, he went to it once uh, on probably his favourite away day at a, at a burger. Um, and he hasn't shut up about it since. And now he's heartbroken that it's closed. So <laughs> we'll oh, right. try we'll and get that reopened yeah. for him then. No yeah, bother. He'll, he'll be chuffed with that. Well, Daryl Clark, thank you so much for joining me. This has been. Well, brilliant, and hopefully everyone that listens enjoys it as much as I have. Not a problem, mate. You take care. Top. Cheers, mate.